You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember telling my guidance counselor in sixth grade, I want to be an agent, right? It was like right when Jerry Maguire came out, like I said, I'm going to be an agent. And, um, I was always a good bullshitter, you know? Um, it's what I always wanted to do, and I remembered that. And, like, I, I, I felt it in my heart. Welcome to Coffee and Football. My name is Sebastian Alvarado, and I'm the host of this long-form interview-style podcast, where each week I sit down with some of the most interesting and influential people involved in the game. They range from players to club and league executives to corporate brand directors to media profiles, agents, and thought leaders. I've always been intrigued by the behind-the-scenes types of stories and curious in learning about people's journeys and wanting to understand how they got to where they are. The purpose of these conversations is to dig deep and get to know the person behind the title, and to learn about their work, everyday routines, life experiences, and to hear their side of the story. In the second episode, I sat down to chat with Remy Sharon. He's one of the top players agents in the country. If you enjoy the first episode with Aleko Eskandarian, I can guarantee that you'll like this one. Remy takes us through his personal journey from the start of his career in ticket sales at Madison Square Garden to where he is today, running his own company, Remy Tonelli's Management. They represent players such as recently retired European champ Marcos Senna, mixed disc root of New York City FC and the U.S. national team, Ghanaian national team players and MLS stars Poku and Lloyd Sam, Connor Laid, a homegrown player establishing himself at the Red Bulls, and Jack Harrison, who now plays for New York City FC and is one of the biggest talents in the MLS. Remy takes us through the steps he took in building his career and business, including the good and the bad. We talk about how he got his first client, how he slept on people's couches to make ends meet in the beginning, to negotiation tactics, the almost three years it took to get Marcos Senna from VRL to the New York Cosmos, all that and much more in this amazing episode. I really enjoyed this one, and I hope you do too. Welcome, Remy, to uh, Coffee and Football. It's a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Since this is really a coffee conversation, I have to ask, do you like coffee? And uh, if so, how do you typically drink it? I love coffee. Black coffee. I enjoy going to the deli to get coffee, to be fair. I like going to coffee shops. I like good coffee, but 
Um, something about going to the deli and getting coffee for a dollar. Something about only paying a buck. How you doing today? Yeah, good. Good. A little, uh, little stressed out. You know, uh, January is a big, big transfer window here in the U.S. It's our main window um, in between seasons. So gearing up for that. Got a lot of guys that want new deals, that want more money, that want better situations. So just uh, turning text calls, et cetera. But yeah, it's good, man. How's the typical day today and, and when does it get uh wh- when does it start ramping up in terms of ac- activity like you're saying leading into the transfer window opening yeah it's it's been busy the last <clears throat> excuse me really the last couple of weeks um with the mls regular season wrapping up uh half the teams are now out of the playoffs uh usl and nasl um the second and third leagues in the u.s have wrapped up so We have a lot of free players. We have a lot of guys that want more money, that want moves. Um, so I'd say the last two weeks it's been quite busy. And then uh, on the European front, you know, as we were discussing offline, we we primarily work in Scandinavia, um, and the schedule reflects, you know, what what the MLS does. So it's a March to you know November type schedule as well. So it's a big window there. So really seeing who we have free, who wants more money, what teams need. And then, and then, you know, working on matches. So it's it's by far and away our our busiest time of year. What's uh, describe a typical day from the moment you get up? Yeah, so I generally I generally wake up at five um, to to talk to our European players, um, our European counterparts, different agents, teams. Um, that at least will you know allow me to get in two rounds of phone calls or emails a day. Generally do that from five to six and go back to bed for an hour. <laughs> Um, and then get up, um, take the dog out for a run. Um, so try to get all that stuff out of the way. Um, by about eight or nine, um, it's full throttle, right? So talking to players on the East Coast, getting back to the, the, the European counterparts. Um, that's about my first three hours or so in the morning. Um, then I try to to save my lunches for, for in-person meetings. Um, those are important, I'd say. What, what types of meetings are those? So I'd say over the last couple of years, about um, 75% of our business is player representation and 25% is brands that want to play within the soccer space or brands that are within the soccer space. So, you know, meetings are either, you know, uh, for, for companies like that or this time of year, it's, you know, maybe meeting a college coach because we want to recruit a, a player out of college or a player out of an academy, a local academy. So meeting the academy director or their parents. Um, and then, you know, the most important one for us that we, I really pride myself on is our, our current clients because uh, it's hard to keep a lot of those guys happy all the time. So, you know, even if it's just going out to lunch or playing ping pong for an hour, um, that's a big, that's a big thing for us. So um, getting done with that general, you know, in-person meeting, um, you know, getting back to emails and phone calls, um, just take, take a couple hours out of the day from there. So generally we'll do that from, you know, two or three until, um, seven. And then we're generally watching a game every night, whether it's, you know, on TV or, um, being in New York's great, right? I mean, you played here and, um, whether it's at St. John's or Monmouth or wherever, we're getting every team, college team, you know, the academies around here, you have PDA, you have Red Bull, you have Manhattan soccer club, um, some of the high school teams, you know, within New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, there's always, there's always players I want to see. Um, sometimes it's a way, sometimes, you know, you can find a, a, a diamond in the rough. So, um, generally reserve like, you know, nights seven to nine or 10 for that. 
um, and then getting home and, um, again, catching up on emails, calls, um, and then crashing up pretty much, you know, around midnight. So it's, uh, it's kind of an, <laughs> an around the clock job. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the, do you, do you have any routines in terms of readings? Like, uh, as an agent, you know, what are the types of things you need to stay up on and, and are there specific sites or, or papers or channels that you need to be on to, to keep up to date? Yeah, I'd say Sunday morning, uh, I'm on a few different newsletters. Um, so Sunday morning, I, I really just like sports specific articles. Um, everything from, um, you know, managing a player's, you know, digital side of their career to, um, different trends and, uh, what sponsors are doing in different sports. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm I love soccer. I'm still a soccer nerd. Um, so, um, you know, I, I read Soccer by Ives, a good one. I, the original winger. Um, I'm on The Guardian. I'm on BBC. Um, I, I like, I, I love every facet of the game. If you were to describe what it is that you do to somebody who has no relation to the sport whatsoever and, and doesn't quite understand if you say that you're an agent, what that really is, how would you describe that? Um, I'd say like I'm basically an adult babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, it's a good question. Um, let, let me give you like the, 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 the tagline per se, right? Like I handle a professional soccer player's career and every facet of their life, both on and off the field. So on the field, finding them a contract with a professional team off the field, connecting them with brands, you know, that makes sense for them. Um, I'd say that's, that's 70% of it, but then there's life and everything else that goes on in between. So so-and-so moved to a new city from a different country. Um, so-and-so is not playing. Um, so-and-so's mother is sick. Um, so you have everything else that's going on too. Um, it, doing deals is fun. Like that's, you know, everyone loves making money, but, um, it's like everything else that goes on that I think the day to day is, is, is really the best part of the job. You know, hearing about guys that, you know, went through this to get there, you know, and having that as a point of reference for, um, it, it's, it's never always easy, right? You have one guy that comes in as a rookie and then he doesn't play for two years, but he brings his lunchbox to work every day. You know, he gets married, you know, he has other stuff going on and then he starts playing again. You know, the biggest thing I say to my guys is like, it's easy when life is going good to be happy, you know? Um, but when, What's it like when you're not playing? Because again, for you too, like soccer is your job. It's not, it's not who you are. It's not your life. But like when things aren't going well, it's at the end of the day, like, you know, I had someone, a player say to me yesterday, well, I'm basically not in this, this coach's plans. Um, he's told me as much and, uh, I don't know how to stay motivated. And it's like, you're getting paid to kick a soccer ball every day. That's, that's, that's your job. That's how you're going to stay motivated. And if you want to go to a new club, if you're going to go tank it every day, no one's going to take a disgruntled employee. So that, that, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of why you stay motivated every day. I want to get back to what you do as an agent in, in just a little bit, but let's rewind the tape. Uh, and I want to start from the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, in a town called Westfield. Um, in the mid nineties, early to mid nineties, excuse me, it was a, a bit of a soccer hotbed. We weren't too far from Kearney. Um, I remember growing up. What's, uh, what's Kearney? Kearney is, is what, what a lot of people call soccer town USA. So when you look at a lot of the guys that were on the 90, 94 us world cup teams, um, John Harks, Ty Ramos, Tony Miola, 
Um, we're all coming out of Kearney. Um, Kearney Thistle was a big club there. Um, there was a lot of good players in New Jersey and this was, um, this is when people still played high school soccer. You know, it's, it's recent that the, this academy phenomenon has, has, has come into play. But, um, I remember in 94, I was young. Um, I, I love soccer. Like I remember like all I wore to, to, to school were, were, were soccer kits and, um, I wore indoors to, to school. Like I was a soccer, I love soccer. I mean, a very, very mediocre player at best, but I, I love soccer. Like it was my life. And, uh, you know, in the nineties in the U S like 94 was big when we had the world cup here. But before that, like no one really gave a shit about soccer. You know, it was like, I remember my dad going to practice and like, he would ask me when I get home, like, um, well, did you get to kick the ball today? Like, you know, like there was like, we just didn't, I, I had some good coaches when I was younger that were really passionate about the game, but it was just different back then, you know. We so didn't. your parents, or your parents, your dad, they they didn't have any involvement with uh, with the game at all. He he coached me, I think, when I was like thirteen or fourteen, because our team needed a coach. But you know, I don't. So how did you get started then? I remember playing. We had these town leagues, and it was kind of what all kids do in the U.S., which I think is something interesting that we have. It's such a big participatory sport, and then at you know ten, eleven, twelve, you either choose another sport or. Uh, it just kind of drops off, but like everyone plays and I played and I loved it. I just loved it. And I remember trying out for the, the town team. Uh, I think I must've been like 10 or 11 and my friends started getting the letters that they made this team and I hadn't gotten a letter in the mail and I'm like, Oh fuck, this sucks. Like maybe I'll go play baseball. And, uh, then I got the letter and, uh, that team, we were called the Westfield storm. I'd say like that team six of the guys on that team are still my best friends to this day. You know, I was with one of them on Saturday. Um, those are still like the core group of guys I grew up playing with. We played club soccer together, high school soccer with, and, um, th those are still my best friends, you know, like that's, you know, like soccer is a vehicle for everything else. We happen to play soccer and loved it. Um, but that, that's where I made all my friends. Yeah. Who were you in school? Um, <laughs> So, so like we kind of talked about, I wasn't a great student. I hated school. Um, but I, I played soccer, ice hockey and tennis. And, uh, in, in, in sixth grade, I remember telling my guidance counselor, you know, I want to, I want to be an agent. He said, well, you're, you're going to have a hard time getting into college. You're getting C's and D's in middle school. Did you have any clue what an agent was? No, I saw Jerry Maguire had just come out and I was like, that's, <laughs> that's what I want to do. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be a professional, you know, so this is probably the next best thing. And, uh, I remember in seventh grade, um, the, the, the middle school I went to had, had this lip sync. It was a big event every year. And the, the kid who was the student council president at the time was a family friend. He was a super outgoing guy. He said, uh, you know, do you want to MC the lip sync? And I said, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds, that sounds great. Sure. And, uh, I did that. And, uh, the, 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 the principal of the school who, who's become a lifelong mentor of mine, said, you know, you should get involved in student council. And I was like, this is so lame. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. But, uh, I thought about it and I ran for student council president in eighth grade and I won. Um, I, you know, had a good speech and it was something I became very passionate about that. Um, I love sports and I, I, I don't know. I just liked the, the politics of things. And, uh, it, it gave me another, I think eventually, I went on in high school to become the president of the New Jersey State Student Council. I, I spoke in front of five to 10,000 students at one point and, uh, you know, president of my high school and stuff like that. And I think that really helped me get into college because, uh, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not a dummy by any means, but I, I, I just, I didn't like school. I didn't get it. I didn't get like, I found the last few years I've gone back and read textbooks from college, but I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb. Like, I, I, I went to college for four years. My, my job in college was to study, but I just, I didn't really get it at the time, you know? So I but think. You, but you had that personality, so you could, you could talk your way through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, who were your, uh, role models? If you had any. Yeah, it's a good question. I would definitely say, um, my, my parents. So my, my, my dad's a jeweler and my mom ran the business side of things. So like they've always run their own business. Um, and like, I, I didn't realize when I was younger how difficult that was. Like I thought that was just what people did, you know? Um, my grandfather, he, he ran a, a mega, uh, um, he was an electrician, but he ran a, a huge company. I think they had 300 employees. And, uh, he passed last year, but literally up until the day he died, like every, every business decision I made that I ran by him, you know, that was like my guy for feedback when it came to business, how, you know, family ties into business priorities and stuff like that. Um, so he was, a he, he was a big help for that. Um, I'd say, I'd say family. And then I have a network of friends, um, that I bounced I bounced ideas off of. I remember before I kind of jumped in with both feet, you know, my, my cousin, someone I'm very close with, um, just, just talking, talking about, you know, oh, this is what I, it's like the, it was like the bar stool type thing. Like I'm going to be the best agent. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I just needed people to say like, you know, I, I believe in you, like that's, you're going to do it, you know? And, um, I had a, a group of people that were just like, we, we believe you, you know, we're going to do it. And, um, go take your bar mitzvah money and figure it out, you know? So <laughs> that's really all it was, you know, being able to get in there and do it. And that's, it sounds like that's really where the entrepreneurial spirit kind of was ignited as well to be surrounded by, by family who were, who were in, in such business. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a, after college, um, I got a job working at, um, Madison Square Garden and my, my boss there, a guy called Bobby Gallo, it was ticket sales, right? Like it, it's, it sucks. You cold call a hundred people a day, but the year I was there, it was the first year the Rangers had made it back in the playoffs and the Knicks were terrible. So it was two good opportunities. Everyone wanted Rangers tickets and then people were giving up Knicks tickets for the first time in years. So there was a lot of good expensive seats available. And, uh, I made a killing, just an absolute killing there, calling a hundred people a day, selling, selling, selling. He taught me how to sell. He taught me, um, I was always a good salesperson, but he, you know, asking the right questions and listening, you know, really being the the most important thing. But I'd say it was always tough for me having a boss because if someone said, close the door and I'd have a hard time just closing the door, I'd want to say, well, I didn't open it, you know? So, um, I think at some point I started to realize that I want to go into business for myself because, um, not that I have a hard time with authority because now everyone's my boss basically. Right. You know, um, even though I work for myself, but, um, I don't know. I just wanted to do something for myself. That's what I was surrounded with, you know. What are the keys to to becoming a good salesman? Can you is that something that you can train yourself to or do you think that you need it needs to come part with your with your personality so to speak? I think it's a mix of both. I think there's some guys that I mean, I have one technique of sales that works for me and like I I, I remember um I listen. Um I'm able to um ask questions that guide people to, um, an end destination that I think is best for them. Um, I can identify, 
Um, and then I hear other guys that just talk, 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 and they sell as well. So I don't, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong way. I think there's a few different styles. Um, but, uh, being able to sell is, I mean, I mean, for me, one of the most important tools that I have, you know, and sometimes you make the sale, sometimes you don't. Um, but the biggest thing that I learned is, um, uh, under promising and over delivering because when you do it the other way, you're always fucked, you know? Um, and that took me a little bit to, to realize. And, you know, sometimes you lose deals initially like that. Um, but I'd rather do that than have to go back two weeks later and say, I'm sorry, you know, and try to make things right. It's, it's generally easier that way. Then you ended up moving on and landed at Red Bull. Done some work with the brand while I was in college, so I knew some people. Red Bull had just bought the Metro Stars. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I was like, you know, ticket sales sucks. I don't really want to do this. I'm, you know, I, was, I didn't realize how much money I was making at the time, you know, compared relative to what other kids out of college were making. And uh, I went to Red Bull for an interview, and they kind of said, we have this, like, um, ticket sales, well, the garden's very rigid, right? It's, it's, you know, they've been doing things from what I saw, at least I wasn't there very long, you know, the same way. And, you know, you can buy this, there's really no breaks. Um, I went to Red Bull and they're like, we just need to get, they're playing at giant stadium at, at the time. They just bought him from the Metro stars. This is almost 10 years ago, give or take. And, uh, yeah, I think it was around 2006, seven, six seven, or seven, yeah, there, yeah, something, something like that. So, um, there was a lot of leeway to do things that I wanted there. Um, so, you know, one of the, the first initiatives was, you know, when we're looking around, you know, at the team, like 80% of our sales are group sales. It's, it's white youth soccer clubs coming out. They're like, we're all the Latinos in the community. So we look, we took a step back and we realized that, you know, Latinos aren't ordering tickets online. They're not ordering them with, with credit cards. Let's go out to the communities and set up these ticket sales hubs, right? Where we're basically giving a travel agency a hundred tickets on the cuff. And we say to them, you know, you can, you know, they're 10 bucks to you. You can sell them up to 30 bucks. And, um, you know, just being able to get creative like that, um, tying together sales and marketing initiatives, you know, being able to barter tickets for airtime on a radio station. Um, my boss, I had a few bosses there at the time. Um, Rich Searles on the ticket sales side, Jane Pryor on the marketing side, uh, Mark DeGrand Prix was the, the GM at the time. He's now the GM again. Um, they just gave me a lot of leeway, you know, and said kind of run with it. So I bounced around a few roles there. Um, at the time, sorry, I can't remember how long I was there. Mark actually was offered, um, a job at a startup beverage company. And, uh, he said, I'm leaving the team. I'm like, you're fucking crazy. You know, you're crazy. This is about to, to take off. And he said, do you want to come? And I was like, you're crazy. I'm not, there's no way. And, uh, he said, think about it. So, you know, we, we talked it over a bit and, uh, I, I took that job with him and about three months later, the company was out of business. And that was, that was the first time I, I was like, I don't want to work for anyone again. Like, I don't want to be dependent on someone else to give me a paycheck every two weeks. As nice as that is, like, I want to be able to have, I, I want to be dependent on myself, you know, and I know it's going to take time, but I can do it. Um, and at that point I was, I was unemployed for a bit and I started studying for the FIFA exam. And, uh, 
while I was doing that, I had and and this is what around two thousand seven eight. Yeah, seven or eight. Yeah, something like that. And um, I had met some of the guys at Advice Magazine um, just from being at Red Bull. Uh, the drink was called Purple. We would drop cases off there, and uh, I can't remember. What, I, I can't remember what role it was, but um, a guy called Ben Dietz called me up and said, "Hey, you know, we kind of have a role. Do you want to?" come talk to us about it. So I went over there. I met with Ben and uh, Eric Lavois, who is the publisher. And uh, they said, like, it's kind of like this events role. Um, you know, like you're going to execute events. You're going to sell events. It's kind of like, so you guys have a job description. They're like, no, not really. Um, so I went and I took that job. I was studying for the, the FIFA exam and I started working at Vice. And basically I was able to sell events. I was able to execute events. I was able to get in front of a lot of a lot of high profile brands and um that was a huge part of my business where like having that uh, the marketing aspect for players later on and getting to know a lot of these you know brand managers and VPs of marketing and sales and uh I I I made a killing over there. I think my first year I sold like 3 or 4 million dollars in events. Um got to know a lot of brands, had a lot of fun, traveled all over the world, um all over the country. Um, about a year into that job, I went to take this, this FIFA license exam and, uh, that was in Chicago. I happened to be out there for, for another event for vice, um, took the, exam. Uh, just, uh, let me just hop in and, and interrupt you for a quick second there. Uh, f- for those who don't know, uh, vice, what kind of a company is that? <laughs> so it was a lot different when I was there. There was about 16 of us, um, started as a, a punk rock magazine up in Montreal in 94, um, and basically became a, a, a media conglomerate. Um, we, we talked to a certain audience that, you know, a lot of brands at the time and still want to get in with, um, on the reporting side, it, you know, it's immersive reporting, right? Um, and you know, when I was there, I think the big thing was CNN, they would run our stories and our, our video, our video content. And now obviously they have, you know, a show on HBO, um, you know, they have their own verticals in, in basically every category from news to sports. And uh, it taught me to think out of the box and not, not, uh, I remember like going in on pitches. It's not like we're a digital agency or we're a content agency. It's like we can do everything, you know, and that's kind of how I approach things right now. Like I, I, I can do everything, you know, and that's uh, when I say like now, like I'm a f- full 360 agent, I, I truly believe I do things 360, you know, it's like, um, guys now might say, well, what do I do with, you know, finances or retirement? Obviously I'm not a specialist, but I've partnered with someone so I can say, this is what you do for that. This is what you do for your apartment, you know? Um, so I, I, I went out, I took the FIFA license and, um, talk me through that, uh, process. So, um, in between purple and working at vice, I'd go to the New York public library every morning. I was living on the Lower East side with a girlfriend at the time. And I'd study about like 14 hours a day. Um, it was probably the most I've studied ever in my entire life. On the exam, it's it's only 20 questions, multiple choice, 15 from FIFA, five from you know your your local federation, so the U.S. Federation. Everything on you know rules regarding player movement um, to uh, the way an agent's supposed to conduct themselves to compliance and eligibility rules for collegiate players in the U.S., stuff like that. Um, so I, I studied, and when I went to Chicago to take, um, I took the exam. There was about 100 of us in a room, and uh, I, I passed it by, I think, one one question. I think I had to get 16 right. I got 16 right. And uh, someone told me this later on. I, I 
basically for a year you get listed on the FIFA website and I'd get, you know, emails from everyone who said they're the next Messi and I'd chase and I'd chase and I'd chase. I had really no idea what I was doing. It was basically like having a boat license, but no boat, right? You know, it's like I got the license, but what the fuck am I going to do with it, right? You know, so um, I'd say my first, my first break, um, I had a player that I worked with at the New York Red Bulls, used to buy him beer, you know, on player appearances and stuff. And uh, he was playing at another club overseas. And a player asked him, you know, uh, he was an older, an older player. Uh, Spanish player said, I want to come to the U.S. He said, okay, well, you know, talk to, talk to Remy. So this player had his agent reach out to me and, uh, that was my first strategical partnership, right? So I had a, a partner agent in Spain and basically we, we received a mandate for the player, which basically says, you know, I could speak on the player's behalf on behalf of the player and his agent talking to clubs here in the U.S. So the, that was the first player I started working with here. It helped me with a lot of credibility. And how did you go about that in terms of st- starting to contact people here and, and clubs and, you know, barely knowing what you were doing? Yeah. So I had working at Red Bull, I built, built up some good contacts, you know, but I, I was predominantly on the business side, but worked closely with a lot of the guys on the technical side and we had a mutual respect. Um, it was still a small office back then. Um, so just really, you know, relying heavily on my, my contacts to, Hey, you know, I have this guy. Okay. He's not interesting. Do you, can you introduce me to so-and-so, you know, just as a character reference that I'm not, you know, after seeing for a few months, how these things work and, and how tough it was. Yeah, sure. No problem making intros. Okay. Can you make an intro for me here? And, uh, I didn't, I didn't really have much going on. Um, you know, at one point I went part-time at Vice. Um, I had a few other small hustles doing, uh, building out like sports marketing platforms for different brands, you know, so I could start to pay rent. Um, and then I guess it was about, I can't remember what year it was, maybe about a year after I, I said, look, I'm just going to start taking guys out of high school and college in the U S and getting some guys in MLS. So, um, getting people there, getting people to, to believe in me with really no client base, but based on my character and how hard I'm going to work. Um, so getting those first three guys and then in year two, each of those guys referring me to three, you know, three, three new clients. Um, that's really how I built the business, you know, on hard work. Um, I'd say at that point though, my first year, um, in the U S, um, those guys were making about 40 grand each. Um, if I take 5% from each of those guys, I mean, you do the math, that's about what it costs to, to cover a month of, a month of expenses in, in New York. So at that time I was living on my cousin's couch like I talked about earlier, decided that this is what I'm going to focus on. Lived off some bar mitzvah money. Uh, just really worked my ass off to, to prospect new clients. But it's not where it's... it's. I have a, a, a kid named Clint working for me now. He just graduated from Akron. He played there. He played at Red Bull Academy with um, Agudelo. A lot of the guys that came out, Sean Davis is his roommate who plays at Red Bull now. Um, and I see it with him. He's like, I just want to be busier. I need to hustle. And like that was the hardest thing for me, especially being at you know, Red Bull and Vice where I felt like really important because I had a hundred emails coming in a day and I was always on the phone and like no one really wanted to talk to me. You know, it was like there was only so much I could do, you know, and just being patient and like surrounding myself with positive because I, I didn't think it was going to work. I'm like, I just like wasted all my savings. Um, I'm wasting peak years when I could be doing something else. I, I really didn't think it was going to work. And then, uh, 
it, 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 it's working. You know, I'm still, you know, I had a good year this year. I'm already stressing about next year, obviously, when you run your own business, you know, um, you know what that, that's like, but, um, just kind of having that faith and surrounding yourself with people that, that said, like, this is going to work out. You know, my money is on you, you know, just keep going for it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You were talking about when you were just getting started about going through some some tough times of you know, little money, living on couches to, to make ends meet. Um, if you had to describe the, the debate that was going on in, in your head on what one side was saying in terms of, should I continue this and, and what the other side was saying, uh, how would you describe that? I'd probably get, this was like 2008, you know, so we, we had a bit of a recession going on here, you know, and a lot of people were getting laid off. Um, but I was still fortunate enough every few weeks, I'd have an ex-colleague that went here and would offer me a job for, you know, 80K, whatever it was. And at the time, it sounds like really, really enticing, you know, just because, you know, it's nice to have a paycheck coming in every two weeks. But I'm like, I can't do both things. Like, this is what I want to do. And uh, I I don't know. Like, I just, I, it, it just, I just kind of. Like I knew how to live. Like I'm like, all right, well, I know I need money for lunch tomorrow. I have to pay this rent. I have to do that. And I can figure that out with the money I have and the money I've saved. And then it was just like I, overnight, it was like I have a, a brand new car. I have a, a, a big apartment. You know, I have my girlfriend was out of work. I have to pay for the entire apartment. Um, I can go on vacations. I can pay to go watch players overseas. I can visit players now. I have like a real accountant. I don't know at what point it just kind of all started working out. I'd be contacted by brands, bigger, bigger companies that were like, we need help in the soccer space. And I'm like, wow, these guys trust me now, you know, and it was, it definitely wasn't overnight, but it was just kind of, kind of white knuckling it for a bit. And I always believed I was like very good at what I did. Uh, I was always, always honest with my guys because I'm not smart enough to lie. So I knew that. But, uh, I, I don't know, just, you know, there were times when I'm like, oh, I could really use that money. And then I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus on this. And, um, I think that was huge for me because talking to players, it's like, well, well that guy's an agent, but he also does this and that and this and that. So, um, I had the belief that if I was going to do stuff that wasn't repping players, it would have to be specifically in soccer and things that could help my players or that tied back to what I was doing 100%. And eventually that came. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, look, looking into next year, like you always, you always start to worry about money when you, when you have your own business. Right. And it's like, I had a really good this year. Okay. Well, I have these players I know are under contract. I'll have this money coming in, but that's still far less than what I earned. And now my lifestyle is up here, you know, 
So I have to earn that again. And then, you know, it's just for, I haven't gone through, it's gotten better every year. You know, I'm curious. I was thinking about this a few nights ago, like at, at some point I'm going to hit a snag, right. You know, um, but like I, I tell my players, things are good. Life's good for me, you know, so we'll see, you know, what, what my character is like when that time comes. But, um, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know, and I've, I've, I ate a good amount of shit, you know, to get to where I am right now. And I think that, um, with the game growing here, you know, I think the players got fucked in the last CBA, but I think hopefully the next one, the salaries are going to go up the, the, the those mid-level players, you know, and then the more they make, you know, the more I make. So that's kind of the obvious thing. And then companies are spending a lot of money in soccer now. They want to get in and, um, yeah. yeah I'm actually curious about that because you mentioned that in the beginning when you talked about how you divide your, your work up, we're obviously representing the players is the main thing, but part of it is the brands and potential sponsors. Talk me through that. How, how does that work and, and what kinds of deals are you making with that? So the, the generally the first deal I work out with a player is their, their boot deal. And I think you hear, you know, being in the U S you hear these basketball players are making, you know, Kevin Durant's making 25 million bucks a year. and The agent takes 20% of that. You know, that's a, that's a good payday, right? But I think there's guys here that are, that just get boots. There's guys that get boots and three, four, five grand they can, they can use at whatever their sponsor's website is. And there's bonuses for cash. Some get guaranteed cash. Um, there's guys that make American players in the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then, you know, there's a lot of guys that make five to 20 grand, you know, so that's, that's the layup generally, right? And then, having that past experience working at vice and having other contacts and working on the marketing side of things, there's times, right. When you want to, you take, you know, you take deals because there's good money there, right. That maybe don't make the most sense. And generally those fizzle out because either the player is not passionate, the brand's not passionate. It's just not done the correct way. But we, we, we sit down with our guys when we sign them and we go through a marketing questionnaire and we say, okay, we look at your digital presence. We look at, you know, how, how do you want the fans to see you, you know, as a person? And we were able to put together a, a small scaled marketing plan and say, look, these are the, the brands we're going to target. These are the philanthropic, not really, because <laughs> these are the, the goodwill type things we're going to do. And then we, we still believe that when, when the fans love you and you have that popularity, it's going to lead to getting more money on the field. And then all the brand deals follow as well. So I'm um, just positioning our guys well. So with with one of our guys i'll give you an example like mix um he he had he had something like 250 yankees caps new era yankees caps and it got to a point where like new era was like he was playing in norway at the that, time that he had just as a collector or he loved yankees hats that was his thing that's all he wore so new era was sending all these hats over to norway and they're like who the fuck is this norwegian guy buying all these yankee hats so sign with the yankees right I'm sorry, signed with New York City FC. They play at Yankee Stadium. And uh, talking to New Era, New Era wanted to get into MLS, get into U.S. soccer, but um, Adidas has the headwear license for, uh, for for MLS teams and logos. So we were able to sit down with New Era uh, and another designer who was there at the time, Boris Burdekin, and another business partner of mine that helped me broker the deal, Scott Debson. Um, we created a logo, a mixed logo. It looked similar to a Yankees logo and you know we put his logo on the hat and um they really sold like hotcakes i mean we we did a few smaller events at upper 90 um the local soccer store here um they were for sale at the gift shop at, at yankee stadium uh he's going to have them available online mixlids.com um a little plug there so 
it was just a natural fit. It's not like we're, we're trying to shovel some shit then. It made, it made a lot of sense. Um, we have guys that maybe a brand isn't offering as much cash, but they can offer a lot of product. And then this player has a family back home that they, 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 they don't have money for clothing. So that's a better deal for them. So, um, it's really case by case. It's very time consuming, but we want to make sure it makes sense. Yeah. We see a lot of players more and more over the past few years being very active, especially on, on social media. And uh, I understand that the the branding and marketing side of things is something that you help your players with. Um, but what are your thoughts around that? Because obviously we're dealing with a younger generation, the YouTube generation, whatever you want to call them. And uh, even at the big clubs, uh, even at Manchester United these days, you know, we, we see some of the old school critics kind of saying that players are more concerned with their latest post on Instagram or Facebook than, you know, performing, performing on the pitch. Um, how do you see that? And where, where do you see that heading? I'll, I'll give you a quick story. So I, I signed a, a young player who was 16. And uh, when the team put the, the press release out, they said, welcome so-and-so. And instead of tweeting his name or, you know, announcing his name, they put his Twitter handle. So I think on that side of things, like think, things have just changed, right? Like that's how things go. So they, they put that press release out and I get a call from the club 30 seconds later. Have you looked at your client's fucking Twitter page? Well, let me, let me go check. Cause this was a pretty, pretty quick thing. So he had just turned 16 actually, and he got his learner's permit and he, he tweeted a pictures of, of his learner's permit. And it said with the caption, daddy's on that swag. Now who wants the dick? <laughs> So, <laughs> um, you, you, you talk to this kid and my initial reaction, what the fuck are you thinking? And then I look a little bit deeper into, to his Twitter page and we have to delete everything. Right. So I said to him, uh, he was on the team with, with Thierry Henry at the time. And I said, before you tweet, think would Thierry Henry tweet this? And uh, it was pretty good advice for a little while than another thing. And eventually it was just like, you have to get off Twitter. That's it, you know, until you mature. And now this player is 20 and very intelligent. We've learned how to monetize his posts. Um, and it's just, it's just part of the game. You know, people complain. It's like, you know, I wish, you know, I could have a conversation. You know, even as I'm sitting here with you, I'm staring down at my cell phone because I'm getting text messages. It's just it's just different now, you know, it's just totally different. And this, it kind of is how it is. There's some, you know, old school proponents and this and that, but it's just kind of the reality of it, you know? So I think you have to, to educate these guys. That was a good lesson for me too, because, um, kids, kids have different backgrounds and are brought up differently. And, you know, when they tweet things about, you know, their friends and this and that and going out and getting drunk, like you have to be very intelligent about it. So even kids I talk to now, I look at their Twitter feed and, if I'm trying to sign them, you know, I'm, I'm even happy to make the recommendation of, hey, that's probably not a good thing to put out because once it's out there, it's out there forever, right? Um, I actually had an article um, when I was at Vice. I got uh, voted employee of the year and uh, we had a, it was Vice's 15th Halloween party. I was running the party. We had about 3,000 people there. It was almost a million dollar event. And uh, I was at the door at one point and people are yelling at me and uh take a step back. So they're writing this article about me, you know, on vice for employee of the year. And, you know, like we're doing here, they said, you know, you have any, any stories, you know, anything like that. And I go out to the event and everyone's yelling my name, let me in, let me in. And the, the balancer says, damn, you must have a big dick. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, 
So I go ahead and they write that in the Vice article. So then, you know, when I'm starting to talk to kids again, you know, I get on with the parents and I'm like, you know, I Googled you. So you have a big dick, you know? So that was something I was like, can you, can you, can you guys take that article down? It would, you know, it's kind of hindering me, you know? So, um, once it's out there, it's out there, you know, and there's not much you can do about it. But on the flip side, um, it's, it's, it's all brands care about. No, they don't give a shit about a guy showing up to a retail store and signing autographs for an hour unless there's a digital component to it. Cause you can make brands can make things look massive digitally, you know, as opposed to these real experiential events that, you know, in years past, you might do a billboard or, you know, a vehicle snipe and stuff like that. It's all digital now. So you have to be so, so, so intelligent about it. Uh, what's an important characteristic for somebody to be successful in your position? I think it's finding that blend of, well, you obviously want someone that's going to be honest, um, but finding someone that can have that blend of being personable and nice, but also being a prick. Because, you know, like I said, you're nice, you get eaten alive, you know, by your clients when you're trying to sign guys, buy teams, you know, you, you can't let people walk over you, you know? So I think just finding that that mix, like our our tagline really from the start is like, don't be the bad guy, let us do it, you know? So just you focus on your shit, we'll handle everything else. And we'll, we'll find that mix of what's good for you. Um, you know, on the field, we can talk to the team for you, you know, just stay out of it. So that's, yeah. A big part of obviously what you do involves negotiation, whether it is with, with players, clubs, league organizations, sponsors. Can you take me through a couple of scenarios on how how that plays out like i'm I'm really just curious like and where where does that happen is it at the boardroom is it in a coffee shop is it over the phone how, how does that play out so let's talk about marco senna coming from Villarreal to the cosmos so uh this is about three years ago now uh cosmos announced their new launch um, i think if you remember for about a year before they had hired eric Cantona as their director of football and there are stickers all over new york and Nothing really happened. So this was, they announced they're going to have a team, they're going to play. And being in New York, they wanted a marquee player. This was November, this was right around Thanksgiving, I want to say, about three years ago. Yeah, it was about three years ago. I knew Gio Savarisi, who was the coach there from, uh, he worked at Red Bull. He was, when I first got there, he was the academy director before Bob Montgomery. Um, and I had met him, you know, growing up watching him play for the Metro Stars. He was a legend back in 96. I'd always joke around with him every morning. I'd make him sign my notebook. Um, when I'd go to work with him, it was, you know, just kind of a joke. So um, Eric Stover was the GM of the team there. Um, he was also a co colleague of mine at Red Bull as well. And uh, just talking about players, linking up with them. I met up, I went to their office. We had a coffee and talked and just kind of shot the shit. And they said, we need this big player. We need this big player. So... I said, how about, uh, how about Marco Senna? So they, you know, they went back and said, you know, this is, this is interesting. So, uh, about a week later they came back and said, all right, here's, we're going to, we want him. Here's an offer. And I think they offered him about, um, 60 grand for the year. So I took it to his, uh, partner agent in Spain. Um, and I told you that story about how we, how we met earlier. And he said, you know, we're really grateful for the offer, but you know, this isn't even close. Let's just chill out. So about, You know, I went back to Cosmo and said, hey, look, I'm sorry, this isn't going to work out. So I said, okay. So about a month went by, um, didn't hear anything. They came back and they said, look, we flew over there. We watched him, you know, we can get a bit higher. And uh, this basically went on for um, from November, Thanksgiving, 
three years ago until June, right when Villarreal had been promoted from uh, Adelante to La Liga. We finally got the deal done. So it's about nine months of negotiating, going back and forth. Um, every little turn from the cash to his housing, to his flights, to his car. And um, this would go back and forth between me and Gio on the phone. We would meet at a diner in Howard Beach in Brooklyn, out by where he lives, back at the Cosmos office, flying to Spain. Um, Marcos also had an agent that was involved in Brazil, so talking to him. Um, and this went on for, yeah, about nine months. Um, and then eventually we got the contract. Um, Marcos came over. We had a big press release. Marcos got here. And he didn't speak any English and uh, because I was the local agent. I, I ended up living with him in a hotel for about a month that summer, helping him get settled, helping him find a house. The Cosmos were great. I mean, they did all the, the heavy lifting, but just, just basically being with him for a month. And, you know, we were talking about this offline. Like, I had remembered watching him in like Euro 2008. And those were the days when I'm like, oh, I want to be an agent. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I was just getting started and being like, this guy is a fucking beast, you know, and his story too of being Brazilian, moving to Spain and not initially being accepted, you know, as a Spaniard and obviously being black is tough too in Spain. And uh, I just liked everything about him. You know, he's from a favela, you know, hearing his stories about how he came up and then you meet him and he's like in shorts and a t-shirt and like, I want to go to Shake Shack, you know? And it's like, it, he, I became friends with him, you know, we, on Saturday we had a retirement dinner for him. He's playing in his last few games before he goes back and how I met him. I got a mandate for him four years, three years before we started working on that. You know, put him around MLS. We couldn't get anything done. Eventually, it got to Cosmos um, and then got the deal done. So really, it was a four-year project before he signed. Then he signed, and he's been here for two and a half years. So um, that that's a big part of it. You know, it wasn't like we got the mandate, we got the contract, he was here. Um, so that was that was one deal. That was uh, pretty interesting. And, you know, now having a... a a Spanish legend here that that's one of my best friends has been incredible. Beyond the satisfaction of uh, selling or, or signing a player, what are the best parts about what you do? Um, I, I've, I've been able to go all over the world. And like, I remember I was sitting with my grandfather a few years ago with the, my partner from Spain who was here. He's like, how the fuck do you have a partner from Spain? And you guys are both so young and you're just chilling out with me and you're doing your own thing. Like kind of hit me. I'm like, oh, that is pretty cool. And uh, like last year I went to Jamaica, Spain, Peru, throughout South America, um, Denmark, Holland. Um, I go to Mexico quite a bit. Um, and I always try to try tie like vacation into work. And, uh, I mean, I've gotten to see a lot of cool things. I've gotten to meet a lot of cool people. Like, I know it's kind of cliche, but like even coaching, like, you know, the team, the team I work with, or the players I work with, like we have everything from everywhere. It's like, it's like soccer really, right? Like people are from all over the world. I get to work with like a lot of really cool, interesting people, but like This weekend was like super rewarding, like Marco Senna, like I did one, one part of his career, I did a deal for him and I was at his retirement party. Um, Connor, you know, got, got engaged a few weeks ago, being able to be a part of that, one of the first guys he talks about. Um, all these other little things, um, you know, that, that really, really, like, I feel like I'm helping, I'm helping people. That's probably also the, on the flip side, the most stressful part, stressful part of the job is that I feel like I have, 
30 children, you know, counting on me a lot for a lot of little things, um, which, you know, I, I, every little thing, like, um, you know, I try to accomplish and get done whatever someone asks me and I take it to heart that I want to make sure everyone's in a good situation. Yeah. Uh, where do we see you in five to 10 years time and, uh, Remington Ellis management? It's a good question. Um, you know, I had a, I had a, my first business plan when I first started, I think I was earning 50 grand a year at the time. And my theory was I need 25 players and I can make two grand on commission to each of those guys. That'll get me the 50 grand. That's what I needed to live then. I had a shitty one bedroom apartment on the Lower East Side before it got really expensive. Um, I really, I went to like dollar beer night. That's all I really cared about. I just had a different perspective on things. Um, financially or, 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 um, agency wise, I think agency wise, um, I want to keep doing what I'm doing and, and, and developing relationships with players, you know, again, welcoming, welcoming them to a family and seeing where they go. Um, I think we want to, the, the, the model I explained is the model I'm going to follow where we have our, our top earners, you know, we have our guys that are, you know, going to keep earning and then our young players. Um, but I think, um, Jamie, you know, I hope, she can bring in some good female players because after this last women's world cup we saw um there'll be a lot of turnover on the next women's national team ahead of the next world cup the brands spend a lot of money in women's soccer that's that's the reason for getting in there um i hope that clint um recruits some good players um and he has his a nice little profit center going um i hope my young players that i've spent a lot of time on start to hit um and I hope we just have a good, a good reputation, you know, and I hope we just keep, we keep bringing in, we keep bringing good, good players and good people. And then I think the biggest thing is, um, working with more brands within the soccer space, you know, because some of the stuff you see out there is so fucking bad, you know, that we talk about and how they get involved. And, um, I think we can do a lot of good work there too, you know, leveraging our guys, but also, you know, our knowledge within the soccer space, you know, under not just cool guy shit, you know, like we talked about downtown New York soccer scene, that's one little microcosm in the entire world. And not just 12 year olds or not just 25 year olds, you know, that kind of encompasses everything. Um, I think we have a unique, a unique perspective on all those things on every facet of it. Yeah. And I, w- I would actually love to, um, perhaps for next time, or maybe we can even involve Jamie at some point. I'd be very interested in hearing, what's going on in the in the women's game as well um who are some of the players uh we should keep an eye on in the in the coming years of the ones that you have coming up um some of my younger players that were with the, U, the US team during under 20 qualifying uh Roman Gall uh played at Lorient uh he's now with Columbus Crew uh Amanda Moreno um former Red Bull Academy player is now at uh Cholos de Tijuana in Liga MX uh, Brennan Vasquez just had two goals at the U-17 World Cup. Um, another Cholos player. Guy I really like right now in college soccer. I'll give you some other guys that I really like too that aren't necessarily ours. A guy called Jack Harrison, um, former Manchester United Academy player, came here to the U.S. to go to high school actually. Uh, played at Berkshire Academy, played for Manhattan Soccer Club, just a regular club team, not an academy, and just leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else. Um, the U-17 World Cup team, I like Pulisic, who's at Borussia Dortmund right now. Uh, I think is a very good player. Tim Parker from St. John's, I quite like, who's in MLS right now. 
I think that's great. That's a good list. Um, how can people get hold of you or find out more about you? Yeah, you can you can uh, you can email me. It's Remy at RemingtonEllis.com. I'm Rem Inkton on on Twitter or ASAP Remy Instagram. So, so kids like to say get at me on Insta and uh, <laughs> can see what's going on. Tell me three people in the soccer world who you would want to invite for dinner and past or present. Uh, let's assume that language is not a barrier. And uh, where would you take them? I'd take uh, George Best. I would take uh, Wayne Rooney. And I would take... Uh, it's a toss-up between Maradona and Shep Ladder. Um, and where would you take them? I would probably take them to uh, to uh, Lucien, a restaurant on First and First, to start the night, have dinner, um, show them around downtown. And then uh, I think I'd either take them to Boss Tweeds, which is a shitty dive bar on Essex Street, um, or to... Uh, That's a good question. That's a really, really good question. Maybe the box <laughs> and see how things went. But I, I'd like to start at my apartment just to kind of, kind of chat with each of those guys because um, Rooney, Rooney's been my favorite player. I met him when I was working at the Garden. Um, he was over here to see Stedman in Colorado on his knees, and he popped in a Knicks game. And um, I still have. It was before people were taking selfies. I got a selfie of us. I was doing the ticket sales, and uh, I just looked in his eyes. I'm like, if this guy punched me, he would knock me out. Like in a second, like the, 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 uh, like the intensity. I've never seen anything like this in another human being. Um, George Best, I mean, just, just legendary, you know, on and off the field. Um, he, he would be my, my choice over Gaza, although that was a close one. And then, um, I think with, with, with Shep Blatter, it's just, There's so much going on right now that like I'm in, I'm in soccer. This is what I'm doing as a living, but I have no clue. You know, I really have no clue when you, you still, still more of a mythical figure than anything else that I'm really dealing with day to day. Yeah. Do you have anything you would like to recommend? I'd say for, you know, being in New York, um, everyone likes European soccer and everyone's a casual fan every four years. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that we need more people that are, that are fans of MLS and, You're a Swede, right? So you can have a fan and you can be a fan of a team in Sweden, but you can also support a team in Spain and England and too. And I don't think it really matters, you know, what other leagues you like, but get immersed in the game in the U.S. Find a high school team you like, find a college team you like, find an MLS team you like, find an NASL team you like, whomever it is and get really entrenched in it and try to become passionate about it. Because I saw a stat, I think there's been eight World Cup champions and all of them had a well-developed league before they won a World Cup. And I think that's that's going to be that's going to be key for us um but you think about for me personally or you like the players we played with growing up and how good we thought some guys are that are still not even close to being good enough to play in MLS it's a good league and you know especially in New York right ah, fuck MLS I'm going to watch England like this is our league here you know this is what we have and you have to support you can still support whatever else you want but if you're a real soccer fan and you want the game to grow here You know, find a high school, find your local high school team, see who the good local players are, because maybe one day they will become a national team player. Find a, you know, support your local pro team and really get immersed in the game in the U.S. Yeah. And then on the flip side to Europeans, don't sleep on the American game either. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. Um, who do you think I should interview next here in this podcast? Oof, that's a really good question. Um, I think, uh, 
one of my clients is a player named Brendan King. His father is Tom King. He's the general manager of administration at U.S. Soccer. Fascinating guy. Uh, I think he's been with U.S. Soccer since pre-94. He's responsible for scheduling all of all of the national team friendly fixtures, all the administration. Uh, I find him to be absolutely fascinating. Um, I think Aldi Curtis could be an interesting guy, the current general manager of the New York Red Bulls, because he's worked at MLS and now he works on the club side of things. And then I, I think, I think, uh, you know, a current MLS player, a USL player, you know, because I, I think for, for a lot of the success stories, there's still a lot of kids eating a lot of shit to get to where they want to be. And sometimes it pans out and sometimes they don't, um, but they're trying to live their dream and they're going for it. Um, I think for you, like, um, I would say Rafi Diaz, you know, played at the same college as you. He's at Red Bull second team. He's a guy I believe in that I think will eventually work his way up to MLS. Remy, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's been amazing to hear your story. I've known you for quite some years, but never knew the, the journey that had taken to where you are today. I remember some of the early days when you were just getting started and there were no players showing up and no deals to be made for you. And uh, I know that times were tough, but uh, you know, you've shown that through hard, dedicated work and, and having a little bit of that hustle and edge to things can bring, bring you a long way. So I'm, I'm really happy to see where you're at and excited to uh, continue following you. Sure. Thanks for listening. I truly appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it in iTunes or on the podcast app. Please write a review. If you have any feedback or ideas, feel free to email me at sebastian at coffeeandfootball.com. You can also link up with me via Twitter. It's at coffeesfootball. Check out the coffeeandfootball.com website. There you'll find any related content and additional info on each guest. This show also lives on SoundCloud and Acast. Thanks again. Stay tuned for next week's episode. It'll go up on Monday or Tuesday. And after that, it'll be one new episode per week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial. 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.